Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear a Sunday sermon along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the prophet Haggai. You can find our passage on page 878 in the Old Testament portion of your pew Bible. For those of you worshiping from home, the words will appear for you on the screen. In the second year of King Darius, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Is it not in your sight nothing? Yet now take courage. O Zerubbabel, says the Lord, take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak the high priest. Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord, work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit abides among you, do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once again, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give prosperity says the Lord of hosts. Let us pray. We give thanks, O God, for the gift of your Spirit that came to a gathering of your people long ago. We pray for that same blessing now, that we might hear the word that you intend and be strengthened to respond in ways that bring you glory and honor. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On February 8, 2010, I parked my car and began walking toward the church office. It was a typical Monday morning in many ways. And yet, as I drew closer to the church building, my mind continued to replay the events from the previous day in this sanctuary when a congregational meeting had occurred that had historic implications. Two years prior, on a February morning, the members of this church had approved a master facility plan. And later that year, the session had identified the design for a bridge. The following February, the members had approved 
the first phase of that project and authorized a capital campaign. And three months later, on a celebration Sunday, $3.6 million was dedicated by our members to begin that work. Later that year, the session then identified a general contractor. Thus, when we arrived on that February morning 13 years ago, all kinds of things had happened in the preceding months. And on that day, the members were being asked to vote on two motions the session had prepared. First, that we would start our renovation project with an extension, extensive overview of Andrews Hall and the bridge, and that we be authorized to borrow up to $5.2 million to make it possible. At that meeting, we had both motions placed before the congregation. There were excellent presentations offered by your officers, and then I opened up the floor for questions and comments. And I certainly don't remember everything that was said in that meeting, but I do remember one member, a longtime member, who said that he was concerned about the amount of debt we were seeking to undertake. And he said, I will vote against this motion, but I need you to know that I will support whatever the congregation does. And he did. We then had our paper ballots counted, and I still have the pieces of paper that came back to me from our counting crew on that day as the first motion about where to begin in our work passed 174 to 31. And on the issue about borrowing money, it too passed by a count of four to one, a margin of four to one. Thus, despite some understandable anxiety, we were on our way. So the next day, as I'm walking from my parking space near the Sexton's house down that alley and came onto Mechanic Street, I was thinking about all that had happened in here. And as I looked up to cross the street, the sun was shining on Andrews Hall, and I saw the building in a way I'd never seen before, as it looked very tired. Despite the faithful oversight of that structure, its 43 years were showing the toll of time. There was even a piece of flashing hanging from one corner of the building. I had never seen the building in my time look so bad. And yet for me, the vote from the previous day revealed why it was we were taking those steps revealing yet another moment in which God's vision had finally been claimed by the people of God. I thought about that glimpse that I had on that Monday morning 13 years ago as I began reading our Old Testament passage before us today. It doesn't talk about worn-out buildings or about the possibility of borrowing money but it does describe a day when another construction project was underway and the people had grown anxious. 
And it was in the midst of that occasion that God spoke a word that was important for them to hear and for us all these centuries later. The passage offered some of the insights from a prophet named Haggai, who we're told lived in the year 520 B.C. Haggai was a prophet to Judah. And just prior to our reading, God had told the people, now that they were back from exile, that it was time to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed by the Babylonians seven decades earlier. The people responded to that call and set out on that work. And our passage picks up events two months later. As we heard Haggai say, in the second year of King Darius, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai. I can't think of another passage in the Bible where the specific day is so clearly identified. The calendar isn't identical as the one that we use today, but what we are told is that this word from God came on October the 17th, 520 B.C. And that the prophet began to speak to Zerubbabel, the governor, to Joshua, the priest, and to all of the people who were gathered there. And he said this to them, Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? On that day, the people were looking in as excavations were underway. The workers were trying to find the original foundation of Solomon's temple, and it wasn't going well. Some of the people began to cry, for they remembered what the temple had looked like 67 years earlier. And it is to God, to them, that God says, Is it not in your sight as nothing? But the message then continues. Take courage, O Zerubbabel. Take courage, O Joshua. Take courage, all of you people, for my spirit abides among you. Do not fear. The message goes on and offers some images of things happening in the world around them that has echoes of what was described from the day of Pentecost. And then at the conclusion of that, God says, the latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former. And in this place, I will give prosperity. God was telling those people who were lamenting what had been lost, those people who were anxious about what the future held, that God saw a different future. And upon hearing that word, the work resumed. That was a critical message for the people to hear on October 17th, 520 B.C. And it's an important word for us on May 28th, 2023 A.D. 
For when individuals experience the death of a loved one, and they wonder how they can possibly move forward. When someone unexpectedly loses a job while bills continue to pile up, when there are moments when life seems to be out of control and all we can see is what is happening right now, it is to moments like that as well that God says, my spirit abides among you, do not fear. Earlier this month, I gathered with some fellow clergy in Indianapolis for a biannual assembly of that group of 25 Presbyterian pastors. As part of that particular occasion, we got to hear from Dr. Ted Smith, who's a professor at Candler School of Theology in Atlanta, and he was describing all kinds of cultural trends that we have seen in our land. Maybe you have not stopped to really ponder the changes. He talked at one point about how all kinds of voluntary associations in our land are experiencing declining numbers. Labor unions, the Rotary, Scouts, the Masons, and more. He spoke of how in 2018, for the first time, the majority of physicians in our country work for a group in which they have no ownership stake, and that for physicians younger than the age of 40, that number is 70%. Most of what he was speaking about, though, to us was about the changes that we've all experienced in the landscape of religion in our country. And so he brought up some data that may be familiar to many of you, speaking of how in all of the most recent surveys asking for people to self-identify their religion, that the largest group, the growing group, is those who have none, N-O-N-E. And that now the nuns in our country, as self-identified, are larger than Catholics or evangelicals. He spoke of how the 2020 Gallup survey asking Americans if they were members of a church or a synagogue or a mosque, for the first time since they began asking that question, the percentage dipped below 50%. By contrast, in 1945, 72% of Americans said they were part of some body of faith. Dr. Smith went on to say that there's no single explanation for that change in our country, but that among them, is how now there's less societal pressure to be part of a faith community, that there has been certainly a reaction to the sexual abuse scandals by clergy and by the impact of what he calls the youth sports industrial complex. All of those factors, he said, have made a difference in terms of what we see in the life of churches and could be a cause for concern for us about the future of religion in this land. And yet, there is this word from God delivered through Haggai that calls for a different way of viewing all of that. A number of years ago, Tom Long my preaching professor and a guest in this pulpit at one point was delivering a sermon at the inauguration of a seminary president. For his text that day, he used the closing part of the same chapter in Acts from which we read today, where as it 
concludes about the impact of the Holy Spirit, Luke says that all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. They spent much time together, having the goodwill of all the people, and day by day the Lord added to their number. In commenting on that passage, Tom said this, G, another snapshot of a dream church. The only conclusion that we seem forced to draw from these cheery descriptions in Acts, he says, is that apparently things have been going downhill for the church ever since. Unless, he said, there's something else, something else going on. He went on to talk of a time when he had been preaching on this text in a class. And the students and I were looking over these passages in Acts and he, he said you could sense a, glow, a developing gloom forming over the students. Here they read of energized, spirit-driven, grace-filled gatherings of believers knowing full well that they were heading out to serve graying congregations, many of them shrinking and fighting for their lives. And suddenly one of the students said, this reminds me of Eleanor Reynolds. Who's Eleanor Reynolds, Tom asked. And the student said, Ah, oh, she's this old woman in my congregation back home who is our church's historian. She wrote the little book for our church's centennial. It's in the church library. You ought to read it. You can't believe the things she says. I mean, she tells about an ordinary family night supper and makes it sound like it's the messianic banquet. That's it, Tom responded. Local church historians tell about family night suppers and make them sound like messianic banquet. The portrait of the church in Acts are like local church history. Luke is the first Eleanor Reynolds. Local church historians may come across to some as amateurs and may be as, as sappy and romantic, but the one virtue they have is that they love the church. And the one ability they have is the capacity to see amid the ragging fortunes and foibles of real and struggling congregations, the blessed community of Jesus Christ shining through. You know how local church histories are written, he continued. They say things like, in August of 1932, the Reverend C.W. Hawthorne became the pastor of Macedonia Church. He and his wife, Irene, were adored by everyone in the community. Reverend Hawthorne preached his first Sunday on Sunday evening, August 28th, and the whole town was present. Every heart was touched by his stirring words, and the Spirit moved mightily in the service. Reverend Hawthorne served faithfully until his death in 1941, and his ministry continues to bear much fruit today. Really, Tom said, adored by everyone, the whole town, every heart was touched, continues to bear much fruit, really? Why would someone say such things before he concluded? Because they're true. Because you know they are true if you have the ability to see the kingdom happening in the life of the struggling church. 
the ability to look at a family night supper and know that it's an appetizer of the messianic banquets. On this Pentecost Sunday, a mere 2,503 years, seven months, and 11 days after God spoke words of encouragement to a people who were worried about the future. It is an occasion for us as well to celebrate that what we see is not the same thing as what God sees. And thus, if our concern is over the place of religion in our culture today, or over the future of DPC, or over some other aspect that is happening in our home life, for us, that message that God shared long ago continues to ring true. I have placed my spirit among you, God says. Do not fear. Let us pray. We give thanks, O God, for the ways that you continue to create, for the ways that you continue to inspire, for the ways that you continue to lead and for the ways that you enable us to on occasion take bold steps. Help us to affirm once more that whatever it is we see on this day is not the end of the story, but instead that your vision and your love will endure. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.